Hebrews 13. We're getting close to the end of this book. And um, appreciated Joe preaching last week. He did an excellent job. And uh, he mentioned how we'd been in this book for quite some time, and we have. It's actually been about nine months, and we're wrapping it up next week. But this week, one last plea or encouragement before we get to the conclusion. We'll be reading verses 8 through 16. Hebrews 13, 8 through 16. Let's read together. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that this has been over the course of 125 years of Cass Church in South Buffalo, a church that values your word, that is led by your word, shaped by your word. You are a God who changes people by the power of your holy word, and we ask God that you would do that this morning. Teach us your truth and shape us into the people that you desire for us to be molded into the image of your son, faithfully holding on to him all the way until we are home with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There were a lot of things that I did not learn in school that I probably should have or that I just don't remember, and maybe you can relate. A few years back, I stumbled across the fact that there was something in the topography of our country called the Continental Divide. It's a place in the Rocky Mountains where, depending on where a drop of water falls from the clouds, if it lands on one side of the Continental Divide, it flows to the Pacific Ocean. If it lands on the other side, it flows to the Atlantic Ocean. So I did not know that. How many of you all learned that in school? Eh, a couple of you. You know, a few of you. Probably the rest of you just forgot, like me. It probably doesn't matter a whole lot which direction that water goes. Both destinations are fine, I suppose. But there are moments in a person's life, much like those drops of water, as they near that continental divide. There are choices, there are decisions that determine not just the direction of the person's life, but also the final destination as well. Whoever wrote this book that we call Hebrews, that person saw that these people in this nameless ancient church to us, we don't even know who it was written to, 
that these people were at a place that would determine final destinations. The circumstances that they were in, the decisions that they need to make, these were serious enough to fit that label. And before this letter arrived to their church, they probably did not think that way. They were just living life, going through the motions, doing their routines. But Jesus will care for his church. And he will intervene and communicate to us through his word at a time that he sees fit to awaken our attention in the way that he desires, to change our course, to put us on the right path. And Jesus knew that these particular people 2,000 years ago, he knew what they needed to hear at just the right moment. And here we are, all these years later, going through our routines, maybe not realizing how serious our situation is either. And yet, Jesus will care for his church. We cannot get too comfortable. We cannot grow lazy. We cannot remove the guard from our hearts. Life and death, heaven and hell, eternal joy and misery, those things are set in front of us. And the question is, which direction will we go? What will we choose? What will we do? God's word stands in our path and confronts us and gives us the direction. But will we follow? You might be tempted to think that all this is too strong a language but it's almost certainly too weak. You are going to be tempted every day to compromise Christ in some way or another, and it's possible that a year from now, somebody who is currently sitting inside of this room will be far, far from the Lord. And may this word from God today serve as a warning to guard you from that to guard you from temptations, that if sin and Satan could have their way, they would toss you headlong into the lake of fire, taking you there just one degree of movement at a time. So I hope that your ears are open. I hope that your hearts are humbled and ready to receive God's word to find its place in receptive soil. And here's the main encouragement from today's text that I want you to hold on to right from the start. Salvation is complete in Christ's finished work. Do not swerve from him. It's done. He has taken care of everything. We need to continue to look to him and hold on to him to the end. But we will be tempted to swerve from him along the way. That's been the emphasis of this book throughout, that Christ, he is better, he is superior in every way, he is irreplaceable with anything that life might throw at us and show us to be valuable, he is better. 
He is God and man joined into one being. He has achieved salvation in his death. He has been raised to an indestructible life. He has ascended into heaven. He is the first man who has gone into the throne room of God as our pioneer. And he is blazing a trail for others to fall behind us. But we must hold on to him all the way to the end. Not just at the beginning with joy, not just halfway, not three quarters so we feel good about ourselves. All the way to the end, we must hold on to Jesus. We want to follow him home. That man, he is seated on the throne in heaven and he is serving right now as our priest and our king for the children of God who have faith in him. Do you have faith in Jesus? Are you looking to him right now? Are you holding on to him right now? And if you are, you need to be aware of certain temptations that will come along, that will seek to trip you up on the journey ahead. We need to be reminded that Jesus is all that we need, and he's accomplished all that we need. He doesn't require us to contribute to our salvation. Some of you probably grew up being taught that, that you've got to do your part and Jesus does his part. Jesus did everything, everything. He was the only perfect man who could live a perfect life. You cannot. You are joined to his work by faith alone. It connects you to Christ and all that he has done. You are not required to do anything towards salvation. You will do things after you are saved. You will change. But you don't contribute in any way. You don't earn a wage. Jesus did it all. That is the good news of the gospel. It's bad news if I'm required to do something because I'm going to fail. And so are you. But Jesus didn't. So we look to him. But in our weakness along the way, we may begin to swerve from that pure gospel, the gospel of Christ alone, faith alone. We might begin to swerve if certain temptations come our way, and there are three in this text, at least three, but I'm going to give you three that you and I, we need to watch out for. The first is in verses 8 and 9. Look at those again with me. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Praise God that he is an unchanging Jesus. Do not be led away, we're commanded. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. There is something inside of us that craves the new, whatever that is, something new. Our hearts get bored. We get tired of the old stuff, and we want something new. We start to think that the old is washed up, that there has to be more out there. Wants to find somebody, somebody who's going to teach them about the secret way that's been hidden from all of those regular people all the way along the, on the path. We're drawn to new things, new teachings. And that's the temptation that we're going to face. We'll be tempted to follow new teachings instead of the same old teaching of the gospel. 
Our ears will be tempted to perk up when we're told that there is something that we can contribute to salvation, some special way to do things that other people have missed. And so this ancient church, as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, we have seen that this ancient church was tempted to various things as well. They were tempted to go back into Judaism, to start offering up those old sacrifices again, thinking that those would contribute to their salvation in some way. They were tempted to eat certain foods, apparently, and not eat other foods. I'm sure those Old Testament cer ceremonial food laws. Thinking that they would be saved by these things and not simply Christ alone. And here, in verse 8, they're being told that Jesus does not change. A reminder that not only does our Savior not change, but the truth about him does not either. So that gospel that saved those first century Christians is the gospel that still saves today. There is no new gospel. It's old. It's good. Old Testament reminds us to follow the old paths, but we get tired of the old paths. We want something new, something exciting. But not all new paths are better. So in verse 9, we are told here, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Jesus is always the same. Do you see how those connect together? Jesus Christ is unchanging. So don't be led astray by things that are different from him. Stay grounded in Christ. This literally means multicolored teachings. There's all sorts of things out there that are being taught. Things that go beyond Christ alone. And they're attractive at times. There are still people today who try to put restrictions on the people of God. Tell you there are other requirements for you to enter the kingdom. I know a man who pushes food laws on other people. Some charismatics believe that to be truly saved, you have to speak in tongues. Roman Catholics teach that the sacraments must be kept and you have to remain joined to the church. There have been all sorts of other requirements and false gospels that man has preached over the centuries, and I'm sure there are many more of them that are out there today. New things that tickle the ears. So do not be led astray, we are told here, by strange and diverse teachings because the world is out there peddling its wares. Maybe you've heard of the prosperity gospel. It's out there being sold. People who tell you that Jesus has saved you for worldly success. Jesus wants you to be rich, healthy, wealthy, and comfortable. Sounds a lot like the American dream. It was birthed here in many ways. And America has exported this false gospel around the world for people to listen to. That's all that Jesus wants. He wants to give you everything that your heart desires. And if you have enough faith in him, he will give it. Oh, by the way, sow a little seed my way. Send a little money to my television program and you'll receive a blessing. Well, somebody's making out in this. Somebody is becoming prosperous. But more than likely, it is not you. So they're selling this as a gospel and using all sorts of passages that they cobble together to teach such things. But they steer you away from faith in Christ alone, who has often had a very 
poor people in this world who are filled with his joy because they know they have everything laid up for them in heaven and they don't grasp at the stuff of this world. That's being sold. It's false. But doesn't it appeal to our flesh? Because we want stuff. We want more. I love comfortable, don't you? And if I had my choice of things, I'd much rather be comfortable than without and poor and destitute. And I'm sure it's the same for you. So there is something about that prosperity gospel that does tickle our ears and draw us in. But that's why it's effective. And it will steer us from looking to Jesus alone. And trusting him for everything that we need instead of grasping out there for everything that we need or think we need. But that's not the only false gospel being sold. There is the tolerance, that worldly tolerance, self-esteem gospel that's out there being sold too. It says that old restrictive Christianity, that it's washed up. It's too restrictive. Keeps you down. It needs an update. Jesus wants you to feel good about yourself no matter what, no questions asked. As if Jesus follows the voices of the culture, because that sounds like what all of them are talking about, isn't it? Jesus doesn't follow the culture, though. He's countercultural. Don't swerve. Hebrews is warning that old church that these Jewish food laws and sacrifices, that these no longer have any bearing at all on their salvation, but that these people have to stay on guard against anything that tries to sell itself as necessary to be saved beyond faith alone in Christ alone. Someone had to have been teaching them that God would give strength to their souls if they would eat certain foods and stay away from other foods. Maybe kind of like fish on Fridays. Things like that are still peddled out there in our culture. But hearts are not strengthened by food eaten or food restrictions. And grace does not come or flow through our efforts. Grace comes as we trust in Christ and his grace empowers our efforts. Our efforts flow from grace, not toward grace. The true gospel is simple. And we are tempted to muddy it up along the way with our works. And so before I move on to the next one, I do want to be clear that we do grow as Christ followers by what we do or don't do, but we do not become Christ followers by what we do or don't do. But even as we grow through effort, and we have to put forth effort into our discipleship, we have to work at it. That effort is feeding on grace that comes to the heart as we look to Jesus. So do not swerve from him. That's the first temptation that we are told about here. The second is that we will be tempted to comfort or to stay comfortable. Our flesh loves the security and acceptance and the comforts of the world. 
And the temptation will be that we will swerve from Christ and any kind of self-denial or shame that comes from following him. I think this right here may be as strong in our culture as just about anything, the temptation to just stay comfortable. Don't rock the boat. Don't say anything that doesn't need to be said. Don't put yourself outside the, uh, the community comfort zone. Don't step out. Don't be different in any way. There's a lot of Christians out there trying to make sense of all the changes that have taken place in our country over the last 75 years. And some of you were alive back then. A few of you were. And I think you would admit that your parents would not recognize the place that we now live in. And not just technologically, because a lot of technology has changed, but morally. There's a man named Aaron Wren who has recently written in a helpful way about these changes. And he says that if you were alive 40 or 50 years ago and longer, you lived in what was called the positive world. And what he means by that is that if you were a Christian, say in 1950, 1960, 1970, in those, those days, that it was a positive the world looked at you and said, because you were a Christian, it is a good thing. So it behooved you in many ways to become a Christian. And so a lot of people would just go to church because that's where good business took place. A lot of people went there, hobnob with all those, all those other people out in society. So it was a good thing to be associated in some way with Christianity. But Wren says that somewhere in the 90s, we switched from living in a positive world in America to a neutral world in America, meaning that it did not benefit you and it was not a blight against you to be a Christian. It just became kind of neutral, just one label among many other labels that are out there. But he actually gives the date 2014, probably some reasons for that, but he says that in 2014, America became the negative world that we now live in a place where it is not a positive, certainly not, not even neutral anymore to be called a Christian or to associate yourself with biblical Christianity, but it is now a negative thing in the eyes of the world to be called a Christian. That's the world that we now live in. They don't see it as good. You're not associating with anything good if you are a Christian. It is a negative blight on your record. So to say publicly that I'm a Christian, maybe people are going to even be tempted to try to say, well, I'm not that kind of Christian, you know, or, or whatever that might be. I'm not, I'm not the extreme Christian. I'm the real moderate in the mushy middle kind of Christian, just so that you can stay comfortable. And so the encouragement today from God's word is that we will not be a people who want to just stay comfortable and water down our beliefs to satisfy others in the community who might toss us out, cancel us, throw us out of the place that is comfortable to us. Nobody likes being called an outcast. Nobody likes being, being an outcast, not even being called one. And Christians don't like being outcasts either. But we're on the outs. I think you see that out there, do you not? If you watch the news, you know that this is true. The world laughs at biblical Christianity. It seems that Christians are the only group that it is now culturally acceptable to mock, even publicly. Like a few weeks ago when the drag queens who openly spew hate against God were invited to be celebrated by the Los Angeles Dodgers before one of their games. Celebrated. They are a hate group. 
that only speak evil of Jesus Christ and go about mocking him. And they were invited, come in and spew your hate publicly. We're the only group, it seems, that that is acceptable to do publicly anymore. It is because we now live in the negative world. Christ, what did he do for us, though? Our Savior became an outcast for us so that we can be accepted with God. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is it more valuable to gain the world's applause and their acceptance or to hear the Lord's well done? Which is it? Because if you read enough of God's word, you know that you can't do both. God knows what's going on inside of here. To be friends with the world, we're told, is to become enemies with God. But that's what it means to stay comfortable and seek the applause of the people around you. And here we are in the month of June, where the whole country falls all over themselves to hear well done from one particular community. And many Christians, for fear of even the slightest backlash, will follow suit, even though they know or should know that the Lord does not applaud those ideas on sexuality and gender. But to go against the grain at all will put you outside the camp, a camp that you would much rather stay accepted in. It could be even your own family, social media groups, your workplace, constantly tempted to water it down. Stay silent. Don't rock the boat. Tow the company line. Go through all the training that they make you go through. All of that just to stay where you are. It is so much more comfortable if we just push past all of those biblical convictions. And there are even some professing Christians who are willing to bash any other Christian that's to the right of them just so they can look like the reasonable sort of disciple that the world should listen to maybe you've come across one of those people they want the world to think that they are not that kind of Christian oh no I'm not the Bible kind I'm the other kind the kind that wants to be accepted by you what kind am I supposed to be again tell me and I'll be that well that's garbage that's not following Jesus. And in no way am I saying that any disciple out there should be looking to offend in any way with slurs and slogans. Absolutely not. That is not the way of Christ. But standing with him on this issue and all sorts of other issues where the gospel is at stake will naturally offend unbelieving ears and tell them what they do not want to hear. Because these ears do not love any or all of the Word of God what should we expect that if we stand with Jesus and what the Bible says that we're gonna be loved no we are told in Scripture that we are going to be cast out that if they did this to our Savior what do we expect that they will do to us and are we afraid again whose applause do we really want we will be tempted to go along with the current not speak the truth 
And the main reason for that will be so that we aren't outcasts or lepers or ostracized in any way. This first century church was tempted to stay in Judaism, stay in the community. Don't upset grandma. Don't upset your friends. Just do what you're told. Follow the line. But to follow Christ is a call to go outside the familiar, safe environment to where he is and where he went. Jesus was willing to go out there on his own with only his father and the joy that was set before him, and he knew that that was all he needed. And we're being told here that Christ is all that we need too. And if you lose the support of a family or community because you are faithfully following Jesus' word, you need to understand that he will prove himself faithful to you. And he will show that he is all that you need. So choose eternal things, not temporary ones. Choose eternal acceptance over temporary acceptance. Choose the eternal city over the temporary city. Choose the eternal family over the temporary family. And yes, you might be scorned for a little while, and some of you in this room no doubt have been along the way. You have experienced some of this in your own life if you, as you have sought to stand for Jesus. Again, not saying that you ever should be offensive in and of yourself, but the gospel is offensive to sinners. I hope at some point you were offended by the gospel before it melted your heart, that it called you on the carpet for who you are, and you saw that God's way was right and good, and you stood in offense against him, and you yielded your heart to Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. That is the message of the gospel that the world needs to hear. They do not need to hear that everybody out there is doing okay on their own. Just keep doing what you're doing. That is not love, my friends. That's not loving. To slowly rock them like babies all the way to hell. To affirm them along the way. That's not love. Love is to confront with a heart of compassion and kindness and to introduce them to a Savior who gives mercy to sinners like them. The Savior who gave mercy to a sinner like you and me. We're grateful for a Christ who confronted us with his word. And hopefully at some point it was a person who spoke to you and said, Hey, brother, I see what you're doing. I see how you're living but I know a Savior, and you desperately need him too. Do not continue on the path that you are walking on. You are in sin against a holy God, and judgment is coming towards you. But you don't have to receive that judgment yourself. Jesus has taken judgment upon himself for sinners like you. Will you trust in him? That is love. The world doesn't know that kind of love. But our God does, and he calls his people to have that kind of love as we confront other people with their sin. So I'm not just picking on one kind of sin here this morning. There's all sorts of sins that Christians might think are just white lie kind of sins, acceptable forms of sin that we learn to live with. We cannot stand for those either. Jesus Christ died for those too. 
So will we be a people of the truth and be willing to speak and become very uncomfortable at times when need be to help other people see their Savior? You don't have to raise your hand. But sometimes it requires a conversation, and I know some of you have to have conversations with people from time to time about their sin, and we need to have more of those. Not so that we can stand in judgment over them, but so that we can tell them about Christ, who is merciful and kind toward those who admit their need for him. Man, that's uncomfortable. But Jesus, again, went outside the camp and offered up himself, and he invites other people to join him where he is, and that is to leave the place of comfort and security and stability and acceptance so that we can find acceptance with him and with our God. And praise God that he did that for us. And that's not loved by the world. That's not applauded by the world. They call that hate. But I hope that God will continue to turn hearts to see that it truly is love. That's the second temptation. Lastly, we'll be tempted to forget. Forget. And I don't mean that we'll literally forget the gospel, but we will be tempted for it to become common to us, plain, regular, old junk that we've gotten used to, tempted to forget. We'll forget how special it is, just like any other great blessing that we're given over time. It just becomes regular, does it not? You think, if I just had that, life would be good, then you get, the Lord blesses you in some way with that, and after a while, you're tired of that. Well, the gospel becomes that way too. We just get used to it. And when we do, we won't do what we're told here at the very end in verse 15. We'll stop continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. We'll stop having lips that acknowledge his name. We once did that back then when the gospel was special, but not anymore. And maybe we come to church and we do that in the crowd. We follow the tune. We sing the song publicly. But it doesn't ever happen in private. I'm never moved or stirred in my heart when it is just me and the Lord and his word. I don't worship anymore. I don't praise him. I don't thank him. We've got short memories. And we tend to forget how, God, how good God has been to us. He becomes boring and old hat and distant. And it's the result of all sorts of other things breaking down before it gets to this point. We stop spending time with him. We stop loving him. He gets forgotten. There's an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where the children of Israel, they're about to go into the promised land. They're about to go in to receive what they did not work for. And God tells them, the day will come when you forget that I gave this to you and you will think you did it yourself. He literally says, you will forget me. He knows what our hearts are like. And when our love for the Lord begins to fail, that starts to go on the decline, the same thing begins to happen with our love for our neighbor. And so we're encouraged here, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have. Why are we told that? Because we will neglect it. 
We'll stop doing those things. We'll stop loving God and we'll stop loving our neighbor when the gospel loses its special place in our heart. And I don't know where each one of you are this morning in your heart with the Lord as you sit here this morning. But what we are hearing about in this passage is serious stuff, whether you and I think it is or not. So what will you do with God's word as you hear about the temptations that will come along to try to make you swerve from Christ? There will be new teachings. There will be the temptation to stay comfortable. And we will be tempted to forget. And a lot has changed over the last 2,000 years after this letter was written, but the human heart has not changed. These temptations are still there for us just like they were for them. But fortunately for us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he sees us where we are and tells us that grace is available to everybody in this room in him. And so are you giving in to any of these temptations right now? Is your heart weak? Is your heart needy? Well, Matthew's gospel tells us this about Jesus. It says that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. That's the heart of Christ toward needy people in this room this morning. And I've done a lot of work with plants. I've done a lot of landscaping, grew some corn out back last year. I know that if you hit a stalk of a plant just right or just hard enough, it will fold over. Not a whole lot you can do about that. Just hope it strengthens itself. We're told here that Jesus Christ will not break that off if he finds you that way. If you are a bruised reed, he will bind you up and strengthen you and make you whole. He will not snap you off if you come to him this morning. He's that kind of savior. Everybody in this room at some point or another has blown out a candle and it's sitting there smoking. Why? Because there's still some heat there. And it's telling us that if you are that way this morning and you come to Jesus Christ, he will not take his fingers and snuff you out. He will blow on you and increase your flame again if you will come to him. That is what he is like. So if you find yourself this morning giving in to temptation, weak and needy, this passage of scripture is not calling you to beat up on yourself until you feel sufficiently beat up on. It's saying, look to Jesus. It really is that simple. And man, we mess that up all the time. Look to Christ. He has done everything for you. He continues to be everything for you if you will call on him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning, all the good worship that took place in this room today and in the hearts in this room. And I pray that it has not stopped as we have encountered your word. Convict us. Change us. Show us, Lord, where we are giving in to temptation, to settle in and just live like the world around us. But you call us to live as disciples of Jesus and that means we are going to go to him outside the camp and to bear the reproach and the shame that was tossed upon him. But in so doing, we will receive a well done from our God. 
Give us eyes of faith. And may it not be heard by anybody in this room that we are being called to go out in the world and just shake things up and to be troublemakers. Oh, no. Simply by following Jesus, it seems that trouble will find his people. And may we be found strong when it does that we will not swerve from him. Make Kaz Church a holy people. Root out sin and plant righteousness and holiness in our hearts. Lead us, God, to run from those things that displease you, but to run toward our Savior who is most pleasing to you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team will come back on the stage. They're going to close with one final song of praise. Just a reminder that tonight that we do have our prayer gathering at 6.30 p.m. for anybody that would like to join us here right down the hall.